One of the more famous writers in psychology literature in the last 40 years is a Jewish psychiatrist whose name is Viktor Frankl. Uh, he wrote a best-selling book called Man's Search for Meaning. As a Jewish teen in Austria in the Second World War, uh, Frankel was in prison for several years at Auschwitz and three of the other prison camps uh, in which so many, many, uh, ultimately several million people uh, were killed. He survived the, the war and afterwards, he developed a, he went on to graduate school and became, you know, a practicing psychiatrist. And he developed a theory of human motivation based on his experiences in those camps. Uh, he observed in the camps that if people weren't killed by disease or circumstances that were beyond their control, some kind of arbitrary circumstance, those who lived almost invariably had some very strong sense of life purpose. And uh, those uh, gripped by a purpose, some overall life goal of some sort or another, seemed able to endure some of the worst kinds of suffering uh, that we can imagine. But he noticed that when a prisoner lost faith in their purpose... Very often they would sink into a psychological and uh, emotional, physical slump that killed them. And so his conclusion ultimately is that if you and I uh, have a sense of important meaning and purpose, a, a life objective, as it were, that beyond just survival and, and keeping our family intact and making a living... We're going to be way more productive uh, and psychologically and emotionally stable. Uh, we're engaged in a three-week study. We're in the third week of a three-week study of some of Jesus' last counsel uh, to his closest friends and disciples. And these words of counsel that he offered them are recorded in the Gospel of John, uh, chapters 13 through 17. And one of the most important facts or points of counsel that he offered them in this fairly extended uh, conversation that they had was that God has a profoundly important purpose uh, for uh, them. He had one for them. And as Christ followers, he has one for you uh, and me. And he describes this purpose for them uh, right after telling them that the goal uh, that they had been seeking uh, for, you know, two or three years was going to prove unachievable. So he takes away one sense of vision, but then he gives them another in the conversation. And in the as in the past two weeks, we pick up the conversation in John chapter 13, verses 33, in which he makes this remark. He says, I will be with you only a short while longer. And you cannot come where I'm going. As we've mentioned uh, before, because of Jesus' teaching and the miracles that he's performed, uh, it's very clear that no one in the history of Israel 
And none of the prophets, none of the famous people in Israel's history has ever been like this individual, Jesus of Nazareth. And so they become utterly convinced that he is the promised Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And then based also on an incomplete understanding of the Old Testament, they believe that as the Messiah, uh, he was going to establish a new political regime in Israel. And so a lot of their hopes and dreams were centered around uh, being connected to him and sort of riding his coattails into a position of, of new development, a new fresh day for Israel as a nation. So he makes these words, he, he had made these kinds of statements for some time that he, he had made these oblique references to him going to Jerusalem and dying. And that really upset them because, of course, that was that created some dissonance because that's not what they had in mind. And uh, he also, though, he talked about his coming in power and glory. And so they were confused about what exactly was happening. But when he makes this statement, uh, it seems to crush their sense of purpose. Uh, the idea around which they had centered their hopes and dreams for some time, so they become upset and confused. They ask, well, wh- where are you going? And he doesn't answer their question directly, but he redirects the conversation and provides two key points of counsel uh, for them. First, he promised that even though he's going away, he is soon going to send and provide them another comforter, he says, Uh, He is going to send uh, his spirit that will engage them in a level of spiritual awareness and intimacy that they couldn't even experience with him. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, I will send him to you. And as we've studied this, this parakletos, he says he's going to send is this is a helper, a comforter, an encourager. A spirit who is going to be an intimate part of their lives as his followers is going to energize them and brighten their outlook and provide vision and direction and guidance. He says in John 14, he says, don't let, don't let your heart be troubled. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. The spirit of truth who will guide you into all truth. So in addition to his other ministry to them, he was going to give them wisdom, direction, insight when they faced complicated and difficult circumstances and were trying to sort out the right direction. Now, he appears to have made this promise to them uh, during his last meal with them. If we go back to John chapter 13, we we know that this is when he took them into this uh, second floor room. And he shared this meal with them, and we get our celebration of the Lord's Supper of the Eucharist from that pattern that he shared with them at that time. But he appears to have made this statement about sending the other, the, another comforter when they were in that location. But John chapter 18 says that later that evening, uh, they all walk east out of the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, toward the Kidron Valley, to the east of the city of Jerusalem is the, the Kidron Valley, which you may have heard of. And during the time of Jesus, there were, there was, there's evidence that there were vineyards 
on the slopes of that valley. And so it's commonly believed that as Jesus led them out of the city toward the east, the, the passage in John 18 says they crossed the ravine of the Kidron. It appears that they walk through these vineyards down one slope and up the other. And so when he offers them some additional counsel, it's widely believed that it may well have been actually in those vineyards as this, in this conversation was continuing and as they proceeded out of the city, ultimately to the Mount of Olives where he would be arrested later that evening. So I want to read his remarks that appear to have been spoken in these vineyards, and then we'll think them through together. Uh, John 15, verses 1 through 5 and verse 8 uh, say this. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. And he prunes every branch that bears fruit, so it may be bear even more. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide, live, dwell in me, and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in them bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on and says later, My father is greatly honored by you bearing much fruit and demonstrating that you're my disciples. Now, of course, this entire passage, these remarks are a type of extended metaphor or a word picture. What Jesus is doing here is he is describing this invisible spiritual reality of how God achieves his purposes on earth. And so he's, they were apparently in this vineyard and he's using the analogy because they're surrounded by these vines, these, these, uh, vines and the branches uh, in the vineyard. To, he's using this analogy to describe how God's kingdom program works. So first he says this. He says, I'm just going to go back think this through with you together. First he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, where I grew up in the southern U.S., uh, when we use the word vine, uh, we normally think of small stems that are growing out of a plant uh, that, you know, crawl up a fence or uh, ivy vines that, you know, crawl up the wall of a building on a beautiful university campus. But in vineyards, uh, a vine actually is the term refers to the trunk of the plant that grows up out of the ground. And I have a couple of pictures now. I don't know if you can see them. But you can see they can be as much as four, five, six inches in diameter. The, the vine is actually what's growing up out of the ground. And then the branches are what we would normally refer to as the stems that are coming out. Sometimes there's this knotty ball uh, at the top of a vine, uh, of a 
vineyard vine, and out of that comes these, uh, these branches. So normally these vineyard growers keep these uh, vines about waist high. I've read a little bit about it this, uh, this week, 36 to 42 inches. And he says here, I am the true vine. Uh, this is one of the remarkable statements that Jesus makes about his identity. He's claiming here a very unique uh, relationship with and connection to God himself. And he describes God as his father in a very specialized sense. And his father as the vine dresser who is supervising the vineyard. Or he is the overall, overall superintendent of what God is accomplishing on the earth to follow through on the analogy. Now, this this uh, remark that he makes can be seen as a passage that provides us a glimpse into the Trinitarian nature of God. Uh, Of course, the historic Orthodox Christian teaching is that God is one essence, three persons. And our understanding of God came uh, of being a Trinitarian uh, God uh, came over two or three hundred years after Jesus, as people started trying to reflect on his statements and the teaching of the Old Testament and ultimately formulating uh, this understanding of the nature of God. And it's, it's a fascinating study. Um, but um, what the vine's role is, is to provide, of course, in a vineyard, organic resources, minerals that come up out of the soil And through all the processes of plant development, they bear fruit, of course. Now, he's he's using somewhat uh, mysterious language here. Analogies uh, are always, we have to look very carefully at metaphors and analogies in Scripture in order to interpret them correctly. But he appears to be saying here that the role of the Spirit, who he is about to send, who will provide encouragement and help and comfort uh, is going to work in their lives in such a way, in their inner life and minds and hearts, guiding them into the truth uh, so that their inner life that will start growing and developing spiritually, uh, their awareness of God will be enhanced and deepened and widened. They'll become more spiritually discerning and informed and alert. And as uh, that happens, fruit will ultimately be born. Now, I, uh, um, you know, if you have followed, sought to, to follow Christ for a long time, you know that normally in the cycle of life, you know, we go through phases. Uh, sometimes God can seem to be very real, uh, just incredibly vivid if we've you know, followed Christ for a while at, at times. And then other times, the different kinds of circumstances, we face difficulties and whatever, you know, at work and family, you know, and life challenges. Sometimes um, God can appear to be aloof and much more difficult to find. And uh, But what the promise of the Scripture is that <clears throat> as we continue to persist... We continue to respond to the guidance that we have. Excuse me. We uh, continue 
to respond that in God's own good timing, he will eventually lead us to a place of deeper uh, spiritual maturity and fruitfulness in the way that um, we see described in this passage. I've had a very interesting experience uh, lately. Um, as I mentioned, you know, we went to the States. It was a, we had a difficult spring. Um, my, Iris, my wife, and I did. My mom was 94 years old. Um, she was declining. I was talking to my sisters every day. Oh, should I come back? You know, they kept saying, no, you better wait. And then it was just, it was just the incessant tension of not knowing uh, when you should go or what you should do. And then ultimately, my mom actually survived hospice. (laughs) Uh, Not very many people do that. I mean, she was a very resilient, strong woman. So when you go to hospice, normally you're going to stay there a few days and you're going to die. But she was there for a week and she rebounded. And uh, so, um, and of course, we didn't know how long she was going to last. But after she got out, they said, you know, why don't you return? I mean, you better come on back now. So I did. And she lasted another three weeks. And I, we was a, I was able to spend some very precious time with her. But then we left there after the four weeks of her passing, uh, decline and passing. And then we go over to Iris's uh, father's house, who also, he has terminal cancer. Uh, and he is declining pretty rapidly. So it's a difficult time uh, in our, recently, in our lives and our family relationships. We're just at that age where we're helping our, our parents so. Uh, die. And so uh, really have been trying to seek direction and wisdom. And, and recently I've been reading the, the, uh, a couple of several books by a guy named Henry Nowen, who is a famous devotional writer. And I've been reading this book. I mean, we've had his books for years. Uh, on, Iris is a big fan of his, and we've, we've probably got six or eight of his books. And I've read uh, a couple of them, one or two of them. But in the last uh, about three or four weeks, you know, I decided, you know, maybe he can have something to say to me in this set of circumstances. And, and then it's unbelievable. I'm really convinced. I've you know, collected all the six or eight books and I've been reading through them systematically. And the one I'm reading right now, it is absolutely phenomenal how precisely his input fits my particular experiences. I mean, it's just like I can't wait every day to get into the next chapter. And I may have read that material several years ago, and I said, oh, well, okay, you know, that's okay. Uh, But, you know, it wouldn't move me. And I I think uh, what's happening is that the Spirit, in this particular set of circumstances in our lives, has guided me to this particular individual because he does some exposition of scripture, and it's just having this deep uh, ministry in my heart, uh, in life. So I think that's what's happening uh, with me in this, relative to this passage right now. But Jesus goes on, we read on, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up, and he prunes every branch that bears fruit, so it may bear even more. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, this word in this passage, the word lifts up, is a Greek word, airo, which uh, is often uh, translated in some English translations as takes away. 
But there are many uh, Bible scholars and commentators that don't believe that's a very uh, good interpretation of this, this uh, word, because the word is also used, for example, uh, after Jesus fed 5,000 people. You may remember that story from the Gospels. It said the disciples iro, or they took up 12 baskets of the food and fish that were uh, left over. Exact same word. Um, the, uh, it says in this passage that the branches um, are in him. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. And so it's quite clear that whatever is happening with these particular branches, that, that is, they're, they're not bearing fruit, uh, they are connected to him. They are because they're in him. They're like connected as a branch to the vine, but for whatever reasons, they aren't uh, bearing very much fruit. And so as we re- you can read books that do an exposition of this passage are very interesting. And it's very consistent with vineyard, uh, vineyard uh, owners. What they do, certain branches out of a vine, if they're growing along the dirt and they're dirty and they're lower down, they can't get sunlight. The, uh, the dirt impedes their growth and development. So what the, the, uh, the vineyard manager does, he lifts them up and he ties them up and he exposes them to sunlight and cleanses them off. So that's what Jesus appears to be uh, saying here. And then on he says, and he prunes every branch that bears fruit so it may bear even more. Now, we normally think of pruning uh, as snipping off uh, parts of a branch, uh, given branch that are not bearing fruit. Uh, When I lived in the States for eight years before we moved out to China a long time ago, raised some bunch of tomato plants. I love to eat fresh tomatoes. And so you see all of, you know, lots of tomato plants. They grow up quickly. They're a very fast-growing plant. And when these uh, branches grow out that clearly aren't going to produce any tomatoes, you, you snip them off because, of course, you want all the energy and the organic material going to that part of the plant that's bearing uh, fruit. But pruning, in the case of human beings, uh, may refer to an internal process uh, that God is working within all of his people, all of us as Christ followers, Eliminating patterns that and habits and attitudes that are not leading us to truth, that aren't leading us to maturity, and also inspiring new ways of life. Uh, when I was in college, I went to the University of Texas, which is a big university in, in South Central uh, Texas in the southern U.S., and there are these huge, it's a big campus with, you know, tens of thousands of students. And there are these huge oak trees, some of which are a particular type of oak tree called a pin oak tree. Now, in contrast to a lot of leaves that, you know, the beautiful leaves that they fall off in the fall, a pin oak tree retains its leaves throughout the winter. And then in the spring, when sap starts Going back up through the tree, the old leaves are just pushed off spontaneously as new uh, leaves are, are being formed. And I think that, that 
can be a picture of the work of the Spirit in our life. And also, to some degree, the, the pruning is taking place internally. In that, if you and I have a real and authentic encounter with Jesus Christ, uh, it will change us. He begins changing our desires. He begins changing our priorities. He begins changing our values. He may not necessarily change our vocation, but he will work in such a way that things that were appealing to us at one time just don't hold any appeal anymore. And creating within us a whole new set of passions and interests and relationships. And it seems that that's at least a part of the explanation of of the pruning that Jesus is talking about here. He says to the disciples, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So, again, it seems to refer back to lifting up the branches that are not bearing fruit. And he goes on, he says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me and I in him and them bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what he's saying is stay connected Work on the the habits and the patterns of life, of solitude and reflection and scripture study and meditation and listening to God and connecting with his people, engaging them in meaningful conversations so that his gifting in their life can move through them to you. And as we're doing that, uh, we represent, we can be, if we do that well as individuals and as a community, we can represent the love of Christ, the grace of God, the forgiveness, the generosity of God. It can be revealed through us as his people. And so what he's saying is live in me, abide in me as I am, you know, linked to the father So you are linked to me. And so cultivate that connection in a uh, relationship. And it says, the one who abides bears much fruit. If you and I are doing it, that, over time, then we will mature. And then God will integrate us into his kingdom purposes. And we will bear fruit. It's an absolute inevitability, he says. If, 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 people, if we abide in him, we will bear fruit. And it's not necessarily a lot of disciplined, hard-working effort. Sometimes it's just as spontaneous as, a, as you know, a, a tomato or an apple or whatever just popping up real uh, in a very spontaneous way. And Iris is going to, I thought... She, Everybody always loves to hear Iris share, and we got good feedback from her sharing last week. So she's going to tell a story that I think illustrates uh, this point real well. Thank you for allowing me to share sometimes. Um, my uh, my rela- relationship with God, Jesus has been very real to me, and I love to make him known. I, I want to share... Um, about him with other people. My weakness is that I can 
forget the abiding and get really busy with the doing. And God always has to remind me to um, to come back and to abide and just to trust him. And that's always a pull in my life and something God is always teaching me. And uh, it was one spring I was particularly overworked and frantic and exhausted and tired because I was trying so hard to do good work. And uh, But I had probably neglected a little bit of the abiding in Christ. And so I was just not doing well. I happened to uh, be talking to Rick Lehman, our wise elder here, and he and he reminded me, Iris, you know, you need to abide in Christ. And Jesus is the one who bears the fruit. And, and he reminded me of another passage that says that Jesus said for us to be the salt of the earth. And he said, salt does not work hard. Salt just shows up. You know, if you put salt on ice, it melts. If you put salt on meat, it preserves it. Put salt on food, it enhances the flavor. It's just being salt. And wherever it goes, it has an impact, you know. It's not that hard. He said, you know, one thing Rick said, he said, you could just be in Jenny Lou's. If you're really abiding in Christ and his power and love is living through you, you can be in Jenny Lou's buying groceries and singing. Mary had a little lamb. And the person behind you would say, Lamb, that reminds me of the Lamb of God. How can I be saved? And I said, Rick, that does not happen in the realm. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, good thought, but I don't, it's hard for me to believe that. But um, so I decided that I needed to take um, some time to go to a hotel um, just to spend time with the Lord and. uh, to work on that abiding and to pay attention to him. So I, another friend and I, we went and decided we would just have a quiet time and reading and reflection and prayer. So I was in the restaurant of the hotel and they gave me, um, they said, you know, in the lobby you can get a free drink. And so, you know, take this coupon and you can go out. And there was a band playing there. And my friend and I were sitting there and I happened to be telling her this whole thing about the salt. So I said, you know, uh, Rick said, you know, I'm telling her we, we don't need to work so hard. We just need to have the power of Jesus living in us. And so the band was playing and I was enjoying the music and they came over during a break and it was a, a girl from the Philippines and um, she, ha- you know, just the conversation, where are you from? And um, I said, you know, I've lived in Beijing a long time. And she said, I'm really homesick. And uh, I've just come to Beijing. I said, you know, you should come to our church. We have a church for um, expats, and, you know, it's, here's where it is. And I had a little card with the map. And I said, you should come visit our church. And she said, oh, I think uh, Ricky would be really interested in that. So she, she waved to him and had him come over. And um, he came over, and my friend, uh, Jen, she said, you know, her husband is the pastor there. And he was very moved, and he... He just stood there and he couldn't speak for a few minutes. He was just visibly moved. And he said, you know, I have been in Beijing. He said, my my dad is a pastor, actually. I I was involved in church a lot when I was young. And he said, I I have been away. Um, And he said, but I, um, I just last night... I prayed and I said, God, I, I want to find you, but I don't know how to find you in Beijing. And so the next day, here I am and inviting him to church. And we had, after 10 years, he had said, I, I don't know how to find you in this place. Um, 
And as you know, some of you know, but that that young man started attending and started meeting with Rick and other people. And he sometimes is involved. He's not here. I wish he was here. I would love. I did ask his permission. I asked if if I could tell his story, and he said, "Of course." And a lot of times he's here. He's not here. Um, yeah, now. Ricky's part-time staff of the church. <laughs> yeah. So he has been a great blessing to us. But it was a great illustration of. I just, when I was working so hard, I was exhausted and nothing was happening. And when I decided to pull away and abide in Christ and connect with him, it kind of happened almost the way Rick had said. It's just that I was just getting, you know, my free, sitting there enjoying the music and not doing anything. And then um, here an opportunity comes for me to be light and salt. And so it was really a blessing. Jesus uh, also, as we wrap this up this morning, he makes this final remark, My Father is greatly honored by you bearing much fruit, demonstrating that you're my disciples. So the process of being connected to him and then bearing fruit, being useful to him and his kingdom program, it's not a competition. Uh, It it has nothing to do uh, with competition. Each of us are unique. We have unique motivations, gifts, vocational callings. But as we are seeking him and abiding with him, he will bear fruit. And that honors him. Uh, it uh, demonstrates that we are, in fact, uh, his followers. Now, this whole passage, it, Jesus often... Um, I hesitate to use the word mystical, but there's a mystical element, a very spiritual dimension often to some of his teaching. We have to really reflect prayerfully and carefully sometimes to understand precisely what Jesus is saying and some of his parables and and so on. Uh, It's more organic, we might say, some of Jesus' teaching. Paul, on the other hand, the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the letters of the New Testament, he's much more organizational. And there's both elements in the body of Christ. There's the organic part of it in which we are invisibly linked spiritually to Jesus Christ and one another. And then there's the organizational side. And so what Paul does in some of his letters, 1 Corinthians and Romans 12, he talks about our respective gifts. And he talks about us being connected together in the ecclesia or the assembly and working together. And this is where the initiative comes from, not just the passive abiding, but the initiative. And so as we approach uh, this uh, new school year, uh, you're going to have, if you, if you feel uh, called to be a part of this community, you're going to have all kinds of opportunities to get actively engaged in the programs of the church. The last two years, we've needed 100 children's workers uh, to manage the children's programs downstairs. And I was confirming this morning that involves uh, teaching the children at various level, ages and levels, uh, one or the other. Of course, people are assigned to particular classes. Teaching two weeks and then being off for four So for those of you who may have some interest and passion for kids, there's going to be lots of opportunity to do that. Uh, we're going to need some volunteers to assist with the teen staff. We have two uh, people that 
Two staff that work with the teens and middle school and high school people, and they have all lots of programs that require a lot of collaboration. There's men's and women's groups that need uh, leadership, so you'll be increasingly uh, informed as more people return from being outside of Beijing. And so here are opportunities for you to get actively engaged uh, so that together, as a community, uh, we can bear fruit. Because we believe that Capital Community is called to serve this area in the northern part of the city. There are five, uh, at least five international English-speaking schools with some 5,000 kids within about five minutes of here. And that is our target audience, our principal target audience. So as we, link, as we abide in Christ and connect in healthy, uh, mature ways with each other, we can collaborate to be a fruit-bearing vineyard uh, for him uh, in this coming year. Let's pray.